just want to remind you of um, kind of the schedule that we're we're uh, up to. This is the last of a little three-part thing that I put together because I was trying to put off uh, starting on Romans 15 and 16. So, um, Lord willing, come the fall, we'll we'll jump back into the book of Romans and finish up, Lord willing, um, Romans 15 and 16 next year in those those two halves of the year. But tonight, I, I want to wrap up a kind of a little three-part thing. Um, uh, we've spent two weeks, as you may recall, um, I, with my effort at to, uh, trying to establish that the word that best summarizes the nature and the character of God is not the word love, but it's the word holy. And so we spent two weeks talking about why the word love is not the, the best summary, and then uh, one week giving you eight proofs as to why the word holy was the right word. And so in response to the holiness of God, I, 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 I think there's, there's a path that we need to follow. There's a step that we need to take in response to uh, a recognition that he is holy. And I'll get to that in just a second. Um, I, I hope this comes out very organized. I can promise you, I can assure you, it is not. Um, I, I have enough material up here to go for weeks, and I would love to, but we just ran out of time. So we're going to try to uh, uh, put all of it in one 45-minute or 35-minute little lesson here, so we'll see what happens. I want to tell you a little bit of a background of what this, what I want to do tonight. It's really somewhat related to things I said Sunday morning. But years ago, guys, when I, when I left seminary, I left seminary in 75, and I went to a little place in Florida. It wasn't, I mean, it's a pretty big place, actually, Ocala, Florida. And um, my first office was an office um, above the ABC Liquor Lounge. And um, uh, the place smelled, you know. <laughs> but And my first desk, the first desk I ever had was bought with uh, S&H green stamps. And uh, one time, <laughs> honest truth, and we were trying to move it. We were trying to move it. We picked it up by the lip of the, of the desk and ripped off the lip and discovered that the desk was made out of newspaper. Uh, you could see the comics in the side of my desk, you know. Um, I, I say that to say this. One, one of those mornings, I'm sitting up in that, at that desk um, above the ABC Liquor Lounge. I, I'm, I'm just reading the scriptures, and um, I, I come across some, and I'd love for you to look at them with me, so uh, it's in the Psalms. Um, <clears throat> I come to a statement, and I forget exactly the, 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 the first one, but it was somewhere around Psalm 31. And... Um, uh, I remember reading something like this. This is in uh, Psalm 31, um, verse, 18, verse 19. How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. And then um, I, I uh, looked over and, uh, you know, I kept reading maybe and maybe the next day. I'd, uh, but um, in, in Psalm 33, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And then I come to Psalm 34 and it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Um, my point is, I came to several statements in the Psalms that promised certain things to people who fear him. All these things, the angels can camp around you and God's got all this stuff, you know, that, that he wants to give to those who fear him. And, and you know, uh, I, how abundant is your goodness for it, which you have stored up for those who fear you. And, you know, all this business. Um, and, and I thought, <clears throat> OK, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, I, I'm not I'm not getting this because I, I've always thought and I've always been told 
um, that, you know, fear is somewhat of a, a substandard Christian emotion. Because as you know, the Bible says you have not been given a spirit of fear. You did know that, didn't you? The Bible doesn't teach that, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't teach that. And, I, and I'm going to show you that in just a second. But um, <clears throat> So I'm up in this office with my newspaper desk, and I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, i got to figure this out. So I took myself a Hebrew concordance and a Greek concordance, and I looked up the Hebrew word for fear, and the Hebrew word um, always does that. Yeah. Um, the Hebrew word for fear was yara, and the uh, Greek word was phobos. And so I took a concordance, you know what concordance is, and I, and I looked up all the, the occasions where this word and this word were found. This is the Hebrew word for fear. This is the Greek word for fear. Uh, phobos, phobias. And so I, I started, I, I, I took this, I've even got them still in this file. I wrote down all the occasions of where this, this was found and where this was found. And it took me two or three days to, you know, to, to go through them all. And I, and I tried to come to some conclusions. For instance, ladies and gentlemen, the text that um, you have been told that you have not been given a spirit of fear, it doesn't have this word in there. <laughs> it is a different Greek word, and most of the, the uh, later translations translate the word timidity. You've not been given a spirit of timidity. Yeah, that's right, but it doesn't use that word. Um, so I was trying to sort all this business out. I went, no, wait a minute now. All these things are promised to people who fear God, but I was taught you weren't supposed to. And if you were taught that, ladies and gentlemen, you were taught wrongly like I was. What I, what I came to, guys, is that um, here's the conclusion to which I came. That the fear of God is not a right view of God. It is the right view of God. It is not, it is not just one of the options available to us. It is the right view of God. Now, now guys, let me give you a, just a, a quick definition of what the fear of God is. And, and, and guys, the Bible does this for us. I, I, you don't even have to listen. I don't even have to make it up. Um, look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know what the fear of the Lord is? It's something that makes you turn away from evil. Uh, how about chapter 8 in the book of Proverbs? This one's even simpler. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. You know what that's called, ladies and gentlemen? In the English language, that's called a predicate nominative. You know what a predicate nominative is? That's, that's a subject and a, a direct object that's connected by the verb to be. The fear of the Lord is. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's right there. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, is an attitude, it's a mindset, it's a view of God that makes me shun evil. It's, a, it's, a, it's an understanding of who God is that teaches me you don't want to toy with sin. You run from it. Now, guys, th- here's how I kind of diagram things out. You know, in fact, I did this just recently, and I, I you know, I came across these verses again. Oh, I've got more. There's, you, you, I, I just tell you t- t- tomorrow. Just go through the Book of Psalms, 
and find all of the things that are promised to people who fear Yahweh. But here's how it kind of, oh, I don't know, diagrams out. Okay? Um, for two weeks, we've been talking about the holiness of God. Okay? Holiness of God. I am saying that once this is understood, if it's understood, if it's ever understood, by the, the, but once we gra- grasp it, the, the foremost characteristic, the word that best summarizes the nature and character of God is holiness. Once we get that, the thing that happens is that we develop a fear of God. This fear. His eyes are too holy to even look upon iniquity. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to mess with it either. I don't want to mess with sin either. That's what the fear of God is. Okay, if that's true, then that what that produces is a little bit of humility in me. You know, it puts me in my place. And then you know, of course, what the Bible says about humility. God promises grace to the meek. Promises grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he promises grace to the humble. So out of this humility comes grace and a greater determination to obey. Now let's work backwards. Obedience. Is that a problem among the Christian church, you reckon, in uh, in the 21st century? I said this last week. I'm just... I still can't quite, I can't quite figure out how the church got in such a mess that 30% of our professing Christian men are hooked on internet porn. I, I don't get that. I mean, I don't know how that happens. Um, but that's, that's what they tell us is true of us evangelicals, you know? <clears throat> so obedience, uh, you know, we got a little problem with obedience. Um, and part of the reason that we got this problem with obedience is that we, we really think too highly of ourselves. We, uh, think we are far more developed spiritually than we really are. We're not as, we're not as advanced and not as mature as we really thought we were. And, but, and it shows up in our disobediences. And we're not humble because, you know, God is somebody that's just, as I said Sunday, is just a celestial mush. Um, a, a vending machine in the sky that gives me all the things that I want from him. And um, and I don't fear him because I don't have the right concept of who he is. Now, guys, um, I'm not saying that this is profound. I, you know, I'm just saying this is the way I worked it out. It's just a, it's just my assessment. Might be wrong. Might be completely off the off the target. But but I'm saying, guys, that if you if you grapple with the God who exists in that book, for instance, just just in that that one notion that you've not been given a spirit of fear. You have been given the spirit of fear. What you haven't been given is the spirit of timidity. But you see, that one statement right there, oh, okay, then that really confuses me because I see all of these things that tell me to fear and that all you needed to know is the Greek word is not phobos. And so the Bible doesn't teach us that we haven't been given a spirit of fear. In fact, it doesn't teach anything like that. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the fear of God is not a right view of God. It is the right view of God. It's the only one that, that, that is worthy of the name Christian. That you and I live, and, and I, I said Sunday, fear means fear. One of the things I meant to say Sunday and I didn't, 
gang, I told you that there a lot of evangelicalism has a, they're, they're uncomfortable with this word, and so they substitute other words like reverence and awe. Gang, the Hebrew language has words for reverence and awe. But the Holy Spirit of God saw fit not to use those words. He saw fit to use this one. Yahrah. In fact, there, there is a word um, for dread and terror. It's pakad. It's, um, it's that one. And, and, and the Holy Spirit didn't use that one. He didn't use the word for terror or, or dread. But he did use that one. Yaraha. Fear. And, and what I want to do with my remaining time, which is not a whole lot of time, but I just want to defend my, my, my assessment. Or, or my, my proposition. Let's just call it a proposition. And my proposition is this. That the fear of God is not a right view. It is the right view. And, and, and let me say again, just before we dive into this, all those things that angel encamps around those who, the, the favor that God shows to, the, the, all of those things that are promised, don't you want those too? I think you do. But they're promised to people who yara, Yahweh, who fear Yahweh. Now, I, I've told you what it is. It's an attitude, it's a mindset, it's a view, it's an understanding, it's a, it's a, it's a concept, it's a perception, however you want to say it, of who God is that ultimately makes me avoid sin. And, and if you find that, um, if you find that the Christian church is not avoiding sin, then, then I would say that at least part of the explanation is because of these two things being missing. A God who, um, whose eyes are too holy to even look upon iniquity and a God who is to be feared. I got to do this pretty fast, guys. Uh, according to that, I got 22 minutes to um, give you something that I can take three weeks to do. But um, all right, first of all, there's my proposition. The proposition is simply this. The fear of God is not a right view. It is the right view. It is the only acceptable position and, and view of God for the Christian. Let me try to prove that. Or let me <laughs> let me just state my case and then you can you can figure it out. Um, okay, first of all, um, it is not a right, but the right. First of all, he commands it. That is, um, this view of God is something that God commands. Deuteronomy chapter 10. You're gonna you're gonna have to be looking around a lot, so I mean if you want to write some of this down. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20 says, um, uh, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, hold fast to him, and cling by his, uh, or, and by his name you shall swear. Uh, I'm simply pointing out, it's also found in chapter 13, verse 4, where the same thing is commanded. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, and keep his commandments and obey him. The fear of God is something that is commanded. It's not, it's not just for mean preacher types like me. It is a command issued to the people of God. You shall fear the Lord God. I'm saying that this is the right view of God, and I'm, I'm supporting it by saying case number one is, or point number one, he commands that. God commands that he be feared. 
You find it in the Torah, the laws of Moses. You find it in David in Psalm 47, 2 and 76, 7. You find Solomon saying the same thing in Proverbs 23 and Ecclesiastes 5 and, and 12. Now, and, and you may say, well, you know, all that's Old Testament stuff and, 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 and nobody really does that anymore because that was just Old Testament stuff. Well, okay. I read you a text Sunday from Luke chapter 12 where Jesus says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one that can, uh, <coughs> cast, uh, the body into hell. <clears throat> yes. Fear him. Jesus taught it. Paul teaches it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Peter teaches it in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 17. And in, in the book of Revelation, uh, a book that Many of you um, like to dabble in from time to time. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 14, verse 7, you find this. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Who said that? Who's he said, fear God and give him glory? Angels. So you found Moses teaching it, David teaching it, Solomon teaching it, Jesus teaching it, Paul teaching it, Peter teaching it, and angels come and fly through the heavens and say, hey, 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 listen up. Fear God. It's a command, ladies and gentlemen. It's not an invitation. It's a command. It's found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's my first point. Second point. He desires it. I, I love this. This is in um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. I, I, I love this because it, it allows me to be theatric. And you know how I love to be theatric. Um, but it's in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. And... Um, I hesitate to even read it because it's just, the verse starts with that. <laughs> it starts with, oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. You know who said that? That was Yahweh. That was the Lord. That's, uh, you can see it in verse uh, 28. And, and Yahweh, God, steps forward, and he's discussing his people Israel, and he starts off by saying this. Oh. Oh. Do you know what he's expressing? He's expressing desire. He's expressing longing. And the Father longs. That they had such a mind as this always. What kind of mind were you, would you like? To fear me. And to keep all my commandments. The father steps forward. Not only does he command it. He expresses that it's one of his fondest desires. Is that we as his people would have this mind always. That we would fear him. So, um, by the way, that's found several other places. We just don't have time to look at them all. Um, he commands it. He desires it. Number three, he acts to produce it. Um, book of Joshua. You know um, um, what the book of Joshua is. Joshua is now, Moses is dead. Joshua is leading. And uh, they're crossing the Jordan River and beating all these people. But anyway, this is Joshua chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, where you find this. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for the for, for us until we passed over. And then verse 24. So that. Okay, God. 
Guys, in the Greek, that's called a hina clause. Uh, a hina clause is a so that. It's a purpose clause. Um, but, but, but look, he says, I, I dried up the River Jordan for you guys. And by the way, I dried up the Red Sea when y'all, they first came out of Egypt. And, um, and, and, and then tell me, God, why'd you do that? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Why'd you do those things? Tell me. I mean, why, why'd you, why'd you, why'd you part those Red Sea? Well, well, here's one of the reasons. I mean, you people need to get it across. That was one reason. But here's the second reason. So that all the world might know. So that all the world might know something about who I am. And as a result of knowing that the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God until Jesus comes. It doesn't say that, ladies and gentlemen. It says that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God goes out of his way to produce things, miraculous things, so that the people of God would sit up and take notice and say, I'm not going to mess with him. I'm not going to toy with my sin. I'm not going to play around with stuff. I'm just not going to do it. You know, I, you're going to hear this statistic over and over and over again from me. Because I, I, I guess maybe because I'm not guilty of this one. I'm guilty of all the rest. You know, I, I've told you before, uh, there's only two sins that you don't have to worry about. Homosexuality and um, anorexia. Um, those two, you don't have to worry about about me. But the rest of them, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of them all. Um, <laughs> but, but this one, I, I, I'm not sure you can qualify it as a sin. But I heard in a news report just yesterday, I was up on the little treadmill just going to town, you know, and, and it's the NBC News, Brian Williams and... And, uh, and, and they've got this, this uh, new report out from the, great, from the United Kingdom. From the United Kingdom. Great Britain. You know, our cousins across the Atlantic. And the, the, the report was that... For, did y'all hear this? I mean, I heard it with my own ears. 40%, I think 40... It could have been 60%, but I think it was 40%. 40% of all the divorces filed in the United Kingdom have the word Facebook in the filings. Uh, now, I, don't, I didn't say what it said about it, but somehow Facebook played a role in 40% of the divorces. Why do you toy with that? Why do you do that? Are you not afraid of your sin? Do you not know the potential that we have to sin? Guys, um, if we understood who this God is and did this, then one of the things that it does, it gives us a greater appreciation for our potential. So we don't, we don't mess with it. We just don't. Okay, I got to move on. Um, he, he commands it. He desires it. He acts to produce it. Fourthly, he punishes those who don't fear him. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Um, Deuteronomy 28, verses 58 and 59, where we read, If you are not careful to do all the words of the law that are written in the book, that, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, of, um, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness is grievous and lasting. Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I, do you know where I found these things? Because I did word studies on these two words. That's all I did. I just took a, a concordance. I said, hmm, let, let's look at that. What does that verse say over there? I mean, because I mean, that word's found in there. It just, it just is all over the place. So he commands it. He desires it. He acts to produce it. And then he says, I will punish those who don't. You know, I I keep saying this, but I I hope this is not true of you. You say, well, you know, again, Jimmy, you're reading out of Deuteronomy. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, okay, if that's one of the problems that you have exegetically, then go to Luke 12 and listen to the Savior in verses 4 and 5. If if you need to keep hearing it from Jesus, okay, I'll bow to that. I, I think it's wrong, but... But your Savior said it. Okay. Um, All right. He he commands it. He desires it. He acts to produce it. He punishes those who don't. Number five. Very interestingly, ladies and gentlemen, the fear of God um, is that thing or that item that the Scripture uses as a watershed between Christians and non-Christians. Well, let me show you what I mean by that. Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 18. Um, Romans chapter 3. Um, this is a long description, beginning in verse 11, of um, the pagan man. And he, there's none righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all turned aside, no one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave. That, whole, that passage that you're familiar with. But I want you to notice down the, the last sentence of verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you know who the Apostle Paul is describing there? The pagan man, the pagan position, the pagan culture, however you want to say it. And he says that one of the earmarks, one of the characteristics, one of the marks, one of the, one of the uh, pieces of evidence that mark off the believer from the non-believer, the pagan from the believer, is there's no fear of God in their eyes. The, the thing that makes you a pagan is your refusal or the absence of this thing. This, this view of God that makes me unwilling to play and to toy with sin. You know, guys, um, I, I've said this, I've been saying it ever since I got to Memphis almost 30 years ago now. Your best friend is obedience. And your greatest enemy is disobedience. And yet because this is missing, we are oh so not eager, but we're we're not we're not been out of shape about it either. Um that we that we just we skirt up to the real close to sin and just flirt with it. You know, um, I've, I've said this before, but Steve Brown, who is, you know, a good friend, um, Steve used to say this a lot, and I just love it. I just love the... He says, being a pastor is like, is like watching a group of people dance at a precipice over the Grand Canyon. You know, there's no railing there, and it's a, it's a mile down, and um, and you're just dancing and having a you know, big old time right there on the edge, and... And the pastor's saying, listen, y'all need to move back. 
You need to move back. Away. You need to move, you need to get away. You, I mean, you're, you're gonna fall. Come on, move, quit, move back a little bit. And they just keep on dancing. And uh, you know, no, 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 I'm really serious. You know, you're gonna fall. Come on, could you move back just a little bit? And all of a sudden, they're gone. And you say the next one. Listen, you're getting way too close up there. Could you, could you move back just a little bit? And they're gone. Because you've never been smitten by the potential that all of us have to go over the cliff. The fear of God will give you a greater sense of your own, the exceeding sinfulness of sin. The Puritans used to love to talk about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. I gotta go. Um... um, the mark, I, I mean, I just showed you here that one of the marks of the pagan world is that, that they don't fear God. Well, one of the marks of the believing world is that they do. <laughs> it's found in Psalm 15, verse 4. Um, I think you might know what the, um, Psalm 15 is. It starts, verse 1 says, O Lord, who shall a sojourn on your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? The psalmist is asking, who's going to heaven? And from verse 2 onward, forward, you get a description of the people going to heaven. In verse 4, he says, here's a part of the description. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He honors those, that is, the believing man honors those who fears, who, who fears the Lord. Because that's, that's one of the distinctives of people who follow this God. Um, Leaders of God's people, Nehemiah, Jonah, Job, David, Obadiah, the kings, are all described on on various occasions. I'll give you the text if you want them. Uh, On various occasions are described as men who feared God. Nehemiah, Jonah, Job, David, uh, Obadiah, and, and the king. That's a pretty impressive bunch. Well, they all feared God, but... Somehow that's gotten passe in the in the 21st century evangelicalism. Um, you know, uh, um, the the non-Christian world has no fear of God, but they do they do fear something. It's just not God. They fear. Oh, I don't know. They fear. They fear losing success, or they fear people, or they fear. But they don't fear um, God. And I said this Sunday, the right fear eliminates the other fears. Um, um, I've got four minutes. One of the things that is just, I I could spend a whole Wednesday night just on this one point. The fear of God, and again, contrary to popular opinion, but the fear of God is described as the, uh, in in the Bible, as the blessing of God of man that is the constant encouragement to the people of god from wisdom literature is that things are promised to those who fear god we don't have time to look let me just read them off for you proverbs chapter 10 verse 27 um, the fear of god prolongs life proverbs 31 verse 30 um, which is the virtues of the of the of the, of the, the the description of a virtuous woman she's described as one who fears god the psalms uh, Psalm 31:19, God's goodness is promised. 33:18, the uh, the eye of the Lord is promised. 
Psalm 34, uh, verses 7 and 9, the, the angel of the Lord is, or the angels are in camp around them. Wisdom is promised in verse 9. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, the text says, for your good. All of these things are promised to people. People who fear the Lord God. Um, one final thing. Um, I want to read you. I want to read you three verses out of um, Isaiah chapter eleven. Just, I just, just look, don't, don't look at these. Just listen. Just listen to this. Okay. There shall come forth a shoot. This is Isaiah eleven. There's, <coughs> pardon me. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the, uh, in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his eyes... Who is being described there? Who is Isaiah depicting? Who is that? It's, it's, a, it's a prophetic prediction of Christ. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of out of the stump of Jesse. You know, who is that? That's that's Jesus. But did you notice what was said about him? The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus's Jesus's delight is in the fear of the Lord. A a an understanding of who God is that produces in me a, a seriousness about my sin such that I run from it. I do all that I can to avoid it. I don't want to, although we're all still got problems with that, don't we? But those who fear the Lord, who are promised all of these things as blessings from God, even the Savior is depicted as someone who fears Yahweh. I submit it to you, ladies and gentlemen, for your, um, your consideration. And I say to you again, I would say to you that the fear of the Lord is not an option. It is not a possible right view of God. It is the right view of God. It is the only view of God that is tolerable as a result of things that this book says. Give it some thought. Oh God, forgive us that we have for way too long um, trifled with our souls. We've trifled with sin. We've, we get right up to the edge of the cliff or the, the precipice and play some more. And then we end up in an affair. We end up um, having an abortion. We end up addicted to internet porn. We end up in a mess. Oh God, would you spare us? Apart from the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, none of us will rightly avoid sin. But we come to you as people who belong to you and we want to give you glory might you get more 
glory for yourself, more return on your investment in us by the way that we live out our love for Jesus Christ. And might we be characterized as a people who know a God who is holy and would dare not trifle with sin because we're working at our own salvation with fear and trembling. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.